all the choirs and everybody who's been part of this ex exceptional uh, service. Make sure I'm on. There we go. If you have your Bibles, find Isaiah, please. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, spoke uh, of his birth and also spoke of the hope that we will we'll concentrate on for the next few minutes. Isaiah 40, and um, we'll read verse 31. In a, in a few minutes, we will. Uh, sometimes, of course, we're in the Advent, the season of Christmas, and sometimes uh, Christmas feels a little bit like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Now, some of you all know that movie, and you might not admit it if you do, but I know some of you watch it every year. It's true that it's a little profane in places, but it's become a cultural symbol of an imperfect Christmas. You know, Clark's, uh, the lights on the house won't work, and the tree, the Christmas tree burns, and his relatives come, Cousin Eddie comes and parks in the front yard in his RV, and then for uh, for his Christmas bonus, he gets uh, a, a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. Some of you all know that. And that's, again, become sort of a cultural symbol of a, of a bad Christmas. That may, that may represent your Christmas this year, only maybe, maybe worse. And if, if it's a bad Christmas, it seems even worse if you look around and your friend's Christmas looks looks like a Hallmark Christmas movie, Christmas. You know, when everybody is nauseatingly happy in a Hallmark Christmas movie. So if, you're, if your Christmas is not all you wish it were, you may feel a little worse as you compare your Christmas to the Christmas of, of other people. Uh, some of you have heard uh, several times about me going to Venezuela when I was right out of college in 1981 and how uh, that, was in the, that was in 1981, and how in 1982, Carrie came down, she's my wife, Carrie came down and uh, visited, stayed with some missionaries, and we got engaged, and, um, and that, we got engaged in the fall. She left right after Thanksgiving. I had six weeks before my uh, assignment would be finished, and so I would be there until June of uh, 83. I had six months, and I missed her terribly while uh, during those six months. And then and at Christmas, for example, at Christmas, I, I looked around and there would be these couples walking together, you know, holding hands and looking googly-eyed at each other. And, and that made me miss her even worse. It made my loneliness uh, a deeper loneliness and, and my sadness a deeper sadness. Maybe for you, um, maybe for you, if it's not a good Christmas, uh, your, your pain is deepened, is that a way to explain it, by, by the joy of uh, the, the merriness of so many others. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, but quite candidly, and maybe it's especially true at Christmas, it's harder, sometimes at least, to, to rejoice with those who rejoice than it is to weep with those who, who weep. And maybe this, uh, maybe this is your first Christmas without someone that you love and deeply miss. Maybe uh, your bank account is so low that you can see bottom, and it just doesn't feel like Christmas. Maybe this is the first 
December after uh, your parents split up and maybe you're afraid your own marriage is not going to make it to Valentine's Day and it just doesn't feel much like Christmas for a number of reasons uh, around this room and with all those who are watching on TV and streaming it it might be shaping up to be a, a, a difficult Christmas and I never want to ignore the reality the painful reality of mental illness the pandemic has made mental illness an even bigger problem than it was previously. In fact, just this week, I read the headline, U.S. suicide rates reached a record high last year. I never want to ignore that, and I never want to imply that that we all can just flip a switch and feel better. I never want to imply that. I know that for many, the pain is profound and, and that it It just doesn't end, and I know for some who struggle with a mental illness, the pain is worse than the pain maybe of even grief, because it's so, the pain is not only profound, profound, it's it's persistent. I don't want to imply that you should just do better. In fact, I want to say that, as corny as it sounds, that you are loved and that you are valuable. And I want you to know that you should get professional help without feeling embarrassed, without feeling ashamed. And even though we can't all just flip a switch, I I want to offer hope to all of us, those who are struggling with mental illness and those for whom, for whatever more mundane reasons, Christmas uh, might not be shaping up to be such a merry Christmas. I want to talk about hope, and to talk about hope, let's go back seven centuries before the birth of Jesus, and you'll find it if you have your Bibles open in Isaiah 40. We'll concentrate on verse 31, but let's back up to 29 so that we can get a feel for what, he's, what leads into verse 31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, and by the way, some of your translations will say those who wait on the Lord. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Those who wait in hope on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's talk about two words from that powerful text. One is hope or waiting in hope, and the second is walk. First, hope or waiting. Some translations say waiting in hope. It's the, it's the Hebrew word kavah, and I don't speak Hebrew, but I have some good books, and I know that it's the word kavah, which literally means to wait in anticipation or to hope. So it's not a passively, passive waiting. It's not just waiting around for a good emotion to come by. It is to actively wait. It is, in fact, to choose. It is, in fact, to choose to hope. And you got to have hope. I said that one Sunday morning. This was back in Kentucky. And I, I was talking about hope, one of my favorite words. And I said to the congregation there, you got to have hope. Well, everybody wasn't listening, but Michael Mann was. He was a little boy then in elementary school, and that week, uh, the, the weatherman on TV said uh, that it might snow. So Michael got all excited and went through the house saying, it's going to snow, and, and we're not going to have to go to school. And his brothers settled him down. They said, the weatherman didn't say it's going to snow. They said it might snow. And Michael said to his sisters, Pastor Travis said, you got to have hope. So you do. You got to have hope. And if Christmas is anything, it is a season of hope. The days were dark 2,000 years ago. The people of Israel were hurting. They were ruthlessly ruled by the Romans. 
they, they were a shell of the people they were at their pinnacle under the, the reign of, of King David. The days were dark and, and God had not spoken for a long time, no prophet, no sign. And the people of Israel were longing for hope. And one day a man named Simeon was at the temple. When he saw what others would have seen as, would have viewed as just a typical young family, a, a young man and woman with a little baby. Others would have passed them by perhaps without even noticing. But when Simeon saw that couple with that little baby, the Spirit of God whispered to Simeon, this, this is the one. And he saw in that little born, newborn baby, hope, hope for Israel, hope for the Gentile world, hope for all people of all times. He knew that this was hope. And Christmas is, if anything, a season of hope. But what is hope? Someone described hope by telling a story of a little boy who was in a department store standing at the foot of an escalator, watching intently, staring at the, the handrail, you know, as it went round and round. One of the store clerks saw him and approached the little boy and asked, are you lost? No, he said, I'm just waiting on my chewing gum to come back. That's, <laughs> see, that's optimism, right? It's gone, it disappeared, but it's coming back. That's optimism, but hope is, hope is more than optimism. Hope is more profound than optimism. Bi- biblical hope is the deep conviction that by God's grace and by his strength, at the core of who I am, I'm going to be okay. Hope is not mere optimism. It's not some glasses half fullism. It's not just everything's going to be all rightism. Hope is the biblical hope, is the deep conviction that by God's strength and by his grace, at the core of who I am, I'm going to be okay. And that hope is for everyone. It's not for a select few. The angels appeared to those shocked shepherds and they said, this is good news of great joy for all people. And so the hope of which I speak this morning is not for a select few. For those who this year have made decisions that have been costly. Those whose choices this year have left you ashamed and embarrassed. Christmas is a word of hope. For those whose families are fractured or in danger of fracturing, this is a word of hope. For parents of prodigals who worry about how far you're Sons and daughters have wandered. Christmas is a a time of hope for sons and daughters whose memories, whose childhood memories are painful. Christmas is a time of hope. For those of you whose, whose grief is deep and whose Christmas is shaping up to be blue, Christmas is a word of hope. The second word is wait is walking. So we're talking about waiting in hope or hoping. The second word is walking. Those who wait on the Lord or hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will soar. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Here's the thing about that word walking. Sometimes there is no ecstasy. There is no elation. There is no soaring. You know, we think about soaring just, you know, all the news is so good and life is so good and I'm so happy. It's as if I'm soaring above the earth itself. And running is, 
is celebration. You know, when, a, when a, a, a soccer player makes a goal, they run and they slide on their knees, right? Or when a baseball player hits a walk-off home run, the, the players run out of the dugout. And they sell. To run is to celebrate. And sometimes, sometimes there's, there's cause for elation. Sometimes there's cause for celebration. But sometimes neither one of those is it's reasonable, not even possible. So that's when, that's, when we, that's when we grab and hang on to the promise of walking. John Claypool watched his daughter Laura Lou die in the, in the children's hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a long, painful death with leukemia. He sat there night after night and put ice cubes on her lips and rubbed her hair and and after she died, he, he spoke of that painful process. And he said, when Laura Lou was dying, I couldn't soar. There was, no, there was no elation. And I couldn't run. There was no running laps through the hospital hallways to celebrate anything. There was nothing to celebrate. But he said, I, I was able by the strength of Almighty God to put one foot in front of the other. And for those, for those of you who are soaring and celebrating, I know this doesn't sound very exciting, but for those of you whose pain is raw and whose grief is deep and whose burden is heavy, the promise of walking ought to be really encouraging. I visited a widow in our church just a couple of years ago. Her husband had died only a few weeks before I was visiting, and it was at Christmas. And I said as I left, and I wasn't really thinking, I said, have a great Christmas. And then I thought, and I said, I'm sorry, have a good Christmas. And she responded, how about a tolerable Christmas. Oh, yeah. Tolerable. Tolerable's good. When your pain is deep, the grief is hard to bear, and the burden is heavy. The ability to walk and not just completely faint is really encouraging. I know if there are a lot of things that would make you celebrate. You know, you, there's a new baby in the family for Christmas, or you, you got a promotion, or maybe you got a scholarship to your favorite school, or I don't, a thousand things could make you soar or, or run. Or maybe, maybe your football team got into the college football playoffs. And by the way, I know you're watching. Some of you think I can't see you with your phones down there. <laughs> So, uh, did Alabama get in? Somebody tell me. Not out yet? You got your phone though, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, some of you are hoping, right? Alabama gets in. Some of you are hoping they don't, right? Not a very Christian attitude, but some of you are hoping that. 
Aren't there a wonder, a thousand wonderful reasons to, to soar and to run? And so for you, it's like it's, this is a boring sermon probably. But for some of you, the promise of getting up in the morning and being able to put your clothes on and make a cup of coffee and go about the business of the day is a beautiful promise. Christmas, if anything, is a story of hope for those who are elated, celebrating, and those who are merely walking. We've, said, we've, we've decorated the, the sanctuary, the hanging of the green. Some of you have finished, maybe many of you finished decorating at home. You've got your wreaths on the door and the lights on the tree and all that. You know where the, 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 the legend is that the, the lights on the tree go back all the way to the 16th century to Martin Luther, who was a Roman, a Roman Catholic priest and uh, was the reformer, the Protestant reformer, became a pastor, what we would now call a Protestant pastor. And uh, Martin Luther was, was coming up dry when he thought about his Christmas Eve sermon. He couldn't imagine. He just didn't have a topic. He couldn't think, what will I preach about on Christmas Eve? And so he decided to take a walk in the woods, hoping for inspiration. The inspiration didn't come quickly, and uh, his walk was longer than he thought it might be. And so it got dark, and he turned around and headed home. And on his way home in the woods, he knew how easily he could get lost, and he was really grateful uh, for the stars. He looked up at the stars and, you know, Boy, was really thankful that there was at least some light to guide his footsteps. And the legend says that when he got home, uh, he went around, remember this is the 16th century, he went around and got candles around the house and, and attached them to the, to the boughs of the, of the Christmas tree. And the family gathered to see such a strange sight, lights on a Christmas tree. And it is said that Martin Luther said this to his family. Just as I was getting very frightened, I saw the stars twinkling through the trees as if God was saying, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And that's when I realized the theme for my sermon, God's light shines through the darkest night for everyone. But sometimes we have to look up to see it. So look up, choose hope, and have yourself a tolerable little Christmas.